All right, if you would be turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, this is verses 14 through 21, and as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I would hope we could walk away with this morning. God persists in calling people to him through his preached word despite the refusing to hear and respond. Let me say that again. God persists in calling people to him through his preached word despite their refusing to hear. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, let me ask you a question. What influences uh, you to listen attentively and even more important to potentially act on what you've heard? I'm afraid that the answer to this question is, is often found in things that we feel like uh, can do us harm. Like, like, for instance, if you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you some grim diagnosis, suddenly you're paying close attention and if the doctor says, now here's how you can survive if you go on a whole food diet. You can actually shrink the cancer. I don't know if doctors say that, but they should because it does help, Right? And so suddenly we are dietitians, we are exercise, we're, we're thinking because we, we don't want to die, right? When the stakes are really high, when the information feels like it can benefit us in some distinct way, we listen attentively. One of the problems that I think we all have, right, with the gospel, with the preached word, with the things of God is we kind of think... We got it. I've heard it. How many of y'all could say you've heard hundreds of sermons, if not thousands of sermons? And is the issue that you be entertained? Well, no, I, we're reformed. We don't believe that for half a second, okay? Is the issue that you need new information in order to pay attention? No. In fact, novelty will get you hurt. If you got somebody saying something you that, because notice that the Antichrist will be a silver-tongued devil. He will capture your imaginations by what he offers, not what he takes away. He will capture your imaginations because he's going to tell you, I can save you now. You don't need to suffer 
I'll take care of this. And how many of us fall for that voice politically, socially, psychologically, spiritually, right? And so here's where we need to recognize that every week in some measure is an issue, not just of life and death. Because if you are in Christ, it's no longer an issue of life and death. So you can, but now the issue is life more abundant. And that needs to be very important to us. And, and I know it's slow over time, and I understand that there are times like it being hot in this room right now does not make it easy to hear, right? But I will point out to you that every one of Jesus' parables, which were uh, 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 an issuance of judgment, were, were spoken under difficult uh, weather circumstances. It would not have been easy to hear him. I remind you the one where he goes out in the boat and they're all standing on the beach in the Middle East in the middle of the day for God knows how long. They didn't have a clock at the back of the room to kind of cue Jesus, hey, the children's ministry is getting anxious. Apparently that clock didn't work much for me either. But you know, it, it was difficult to hear, right? And the question was, do you recognize the value of what's being presented to you? Not because it's me, that's dangerous. If you only show up when you know I'm preaching or Robbie's preaching or Matt's preaching, that is insanely dangerous because we now control you. We control you in a measure that is not good for you. Not because we want to necessarily. And if you will only be a part of a church if a certain person is at the helm, I think that is dangerous as well. And I'll get to that more later on. But what is important is, is, the, is it faithful exegeting of God's word? Now, I don't agree that you just sit under someone who's preaching heresy or leading you astray, teaching something other than Christ, exalted and revelatory of God. But too often, we're letting how we listen be influenced by things that can hurt us. We're being manipulated. And so here, uh, uh, what Paul is doing is, as he's coming out of that quote from Joel chapter 2, verse 32, where he's saying, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, he's anticipating, I bet they've got some questions. And Jews were notorious for having questions, much like us. And so he anticipates the questions and he walks them through the, the, what they would have been wrestling with and thinking. Because remember, the, the Jews, often like us, were looking for the way out either through works, so I can say, like Job, look at my works. Who are you to say that I am guilty of anything? If you would just come down from heaven and we could find a mediator that would mediate between me and you, guess what, God? You would be found guilty of judging an innocent man. They also wanted to get off based on, well, hey, we didn't know. You didn't tell us. So just like we do, like, like it's funny to me, like the, the, how we'll put forward, like we talk about evangelism, like, well, what about those tribes deep in the desert or the tribes deep in the African jungles? Well, I'm talking to you. So once you get it, why don't you go and make sure they hear too, right? That's the great danger is we're always worried about someone else without really kind of actually truly being selfish in the way that would matter to eternity. And so they were doing it too, right? What about the people that didn't hear? This don't seem fair, God. They were constantly trying to prove that God isn't fair or God isn't good. 
That tendency runs through all of our hearts because for some reason, we just want to get out from under and we want to be in control just like Adam and Eve wanted to be in control of our sanctification, of our glorification. Problem is we can't get there from here. And so Paul steps in, he says, all right, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? That's an interesting place to start. It seems like he would have jumped to the next question, and how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? But he actually backs it up one. How are they to call on someone that they have yet to believe in? So what he's saying is, you cannot get there via ritual. You cannot get there because you worship a certain way. You cannot get there because you help uh, women across the street or, or children across the street or men across the street. You, you can't get there through your works. You cannot, as hard as you try, be perfect enough for this to, to, to make sense to you. All you're going to do is worship yourself. All you're going to do is end up concluding, I'm a great person. But then he goes on and anticipates, all right, well, I know where you guys are going to go. You're going to wonder, well, they haven't heard. How can you charge someone with something they have not heard? Well, he actually had addressed this, if you remember, in Romans chapter 1. And he dealt with it in terms of the Gentiles. Remember, the Gentiles had no covenant. They had no law. They had no promised land. They were pagans through and through. In fact, they would take and make statues out of created things and worship those. And how were they to be on the hook? Which, by the way, was interesting because implicit behind this question, remember the Jews charged the Gentiles with being destined for hell, right? And so he's turning it back on them in a way that would have been very decentering because he's trying to bring them together in unity. He's saying, you kind of said this about the Gentiles earlier, and you didn't seem all that concerned for them, right? You benefited from what you had, but you weren't necessarily looking to benefit anyone else as you were called to do. So now I turn the question to you. He's turning to them, saying, how will they hear if they haven't heard? See, it matters to you guys now. And he goes on, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? There has to be some instrumentality. Now, now he's turning into, he's saying, look, creation was, was what judged the Gentiles, but you all don't seem to want to be judged by the creation. So uh, how, will they, how will they hear if, they, if someone hasn't been sent? How will they hear if someone doesn't preach? Gives exposition of it. And then how are they to preach unless they are sent? Because he knew the Jews wouldn't tolerate just any old somebody rolling in Right? And being a paid speaker, it would have to be someone who has been vetted. So he's walking them right into their own trap, as it were. And he goes on. As it is written, how beautiful the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, this is, invokes these things. The, their, the listeners then would have had a lot more freight that went along with it. They would have invoked more of the text, and it would have pointed to something because they would have known it. We don't necessarily know the Old Testament that well, so it's important for us to do that work. And you may be thinking, Cameron, how would I do this at home? Like, I get it, you're doing it, and that's helpful. Well, 
In most of your Bibles, if you have the eyesight or a magnifying glass somewhere, you can see there's little numbers or letters that often mark these quotations. And then at the bottom, it'll have where it's from. And what I would encourage you to do, once you figure that out, or you can do this on Bible software like BibleGateway.com or ESV.com, they'll often have markings and you just hover over it and it'll tell you the passage. Go read the passage in broader context. Don't just, it'll say, uh, for instance, it'll say this, just some portion of Isaiah. Instead, read, read maybe the whole chapter. Wouldn't hurt you. Kind of get the context and then pay attention to what's around it. So if he's quoting from Isaiah 52, what chapter comes after? Isaiah 53. What's Isaiah 53 about? The suffering servant, the coming Messiah. You think that, you think he's doing this like without thinking about that? Is that not maybe in his mind as he's talking to them, as he's drawing them? Notice he's not drawing them to a place where he's going to say, and you are worthy to perish. No, he's drawing them to a place where he's trying to get them to see the depth of God's love for them. He's trying to draw them to the Messiah which is what we should do. And so, if you would, turn to Isaiah 52. We'll read verses 1 through 10 just to get a sense of what what he's talking about here. He says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself off from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up. Their voice together, they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together in singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. Now, what that means is that God has been faithful. God is saying to them, why would you not respond to the news of freedom that you are being set free, and this is language from Romans, from slavery, The slavery of sin and death, not just a a physical master, but something that is with you wherever you go. A master that you cannot divorce yourself from apart from the transforming work of Jesus Christ. If Christ does not put your sin to death, you will die. If Christ does not raise you to newness of life, you will not live. If Christ doesn't intercede for us, we are in trouble. 
If Christ doesn't return to bring the new heavens and the new earth, this was for naught. Paul says that, right? Remember in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if this story ain't true, we are to be counted among the most worthless and troubled. And so what he's saying to them is, listen, the Lord has been good. And he's invoking throughout history where the Lord has physically delivered them from exile over and over and over again. And if he can do it physically, how much more can he do spiritually? It is because of his faithfulness that we should lean in and listen in the first place. We're not doing God a favor by listening. We're not doing God a favor by showing up. We are blessed because of the finished work of Christ. We are blessed because God calls us together and is at work in this room. And you ought to be at work in straining to hear his voice. And know then how you should live. And he goes on. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So again, he's making this point that you, there, were, there were those who didn't obey, but yet the Lord in his graciousness, if you notice, continued to make sure that there was a remnant that would preach the gospel throughout, right? He's always had a human instrument, Christ included. Think of all the ways that, that God could have saved us. And yet he chose to place his, his, his son in human, limited, broken flesh. Not sinful. He was perfect. He lived the perfect life. He was perfected in and through his suffering and obedience. Well, how do we, why didn't he just sin like a... Don't you think we would have responded better if he'd have come like on a Pegasus and, and a fiery sword and like, you know, some, some crazy stuff, Lord of the Rings style? I know there's not a Pegasus. I don't, don't send me an email. There's no Pegasus in Lord of the Rings. Save it. Right? Why do you do that? Because we wouldn't have listened to that at all. That wouldn't have been comforting to us at all in our greatest need. Hebrews makes it very clear to us. We needed a great high priest who suffers as we suffer, who, who suffered temptation. And because he did not give in, we have someone we can turn to. Some dude with a fiery sword on a Pegasus is not someone you turn to in your hour of darkness and need. Why didn't he save each one of us like he saved Paul? Why didn't he show up, blind everybody around us, say some, some hard things to us? And then, and then we, I'd believe on that account, right? Wouldn't you? No. That's why he didn't do it. That's why he doesn't do it that way. Remember what he said to the Pharisees when they were like, look, if you could, oh, that's cool in the gang, but we need something more. And he says, you wicked generation of Jonah, you will receive nothing further. If Christ in his sacrifice is not enough for us, as Hebrews 10 tells us, there's no other Superman coming. If it is not enough for us that someone would lay down their life for us and, and give us the fullness of their righteousness for nothing in return, what greater gift can be offered to you 
If eternal life is insufficient to you, if the finished work of Christ given to you, if the resurrection of Christ imputed to you, if the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is passé to you, well, you're hard to please. I'm hard to please. Right? And we need to deal with that. Sometimes we are hard to please. Sometimes we look at that stuff and say, yeah, I could just use a bigger tax return. Right, I, you know, I could just use a, a biohack to help me lose 50 pounds without doing anything. Now, if God would do that for me, oh, the things I would do for him, I would go to South America into the deep jungles and make sure all those people I was worried about before hear the gospel with my new svelte body. Malarkey, as my grandmother would say. I'm not even sure what that means, but it's always troubled me when she said it. I knew I was in trouble. We won't do more. We can't do more in and of ourselves. If Christ is not the one who works in and through us, if it is not the finished work of Christ by which we do what we do, if it is not the love of God that compels us, what is going to? It's essentially what Paul's saying to them. He says, so, he, so now he anticipates the next question. All right. Have they not heard? Which is a question of God's faithfulness and goodness, right? Like here, he has chosen a people for himself and bestowed all this upon them. Covenant, promises, promised land, uh, Abrahamic covenant, mission. He's given them all these things. His presence in the temple. Have they not, have they not heard? And then he quotes from Psalm 19, and he's modifying it, which would, in a lot of preaching classes today, would actually get you in trouble, modifying the scripture to say something it didn't originally say. But Paul did it because he's, Psalm 19 is not about the ones who go preaching the gospel. It is about God himself who displays himself in and through creation. So he says, their, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, why can Paul make that adjustment? Well, because anyone who comes preaching the gospel little does so in the power of God, filled with his spirit. You know, one of the reasons why there was a little tongues of fire at Pentecost is evidencing that the Lord was resting upon them. It was theophany or the presence of the Lord. So when the gospel is preached, it's not done in the power of the man. It is done in the power of the Lord. And so he, he makes it clear in, in invoking Psalm 19, he's reminding them that it is creation. Creation has already declared the glory of God. How is it that you could stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and not feel small? How is it that you can see the starry hosts and not feel like there's something bigger than you? How is it that you, you could stare at, at a pollinator garden so filled with variance and beauty and variance and beauty in terms of the things that, that, that feed there and think that you had anything to do with it. That it was of your creation. That there was not a creator. So he's saying, let me remind you, if it, for the Gentiles, if they were without excuse on creation, so are you. And how much more, since you have Psalm 19 in your, your Bibles, God has been faithful to declare himself. He says, but I ask, 
Did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And both of these passages, one from Deuteronomy 32, the other from Isaiah 65, he's pointing out that God has been faithful to reach the Gentiles. Which, whose mission was that originally, by the way? Israel's, in and through the Abrahamic covenant. All right, so Israel has chosen not to believe. Why are they mad? Why are they mad about a God they didn't believe in, drawing a people to himself whom they think to be less than them? Essentially, this is the... New Testament version of why are you mad, bro? Why are you mad? If you don't believe in me, if you don't want to do what I said because I made it as clear to y'all as I ever did to them, I'm drawing them in and through creation and a handful of remnants, prophets, and priests. And now Christ. Why are you mad about something you didn't want in the first place? That would have been jarring to this audience. Now, I think it would be worth our time. I won't read the Isaiah 65 passage, but it is worth noting that that chapter is critical for understanding that the new heavens and the new earth, which is part of drawing in the Gentiles. That's part of the whole story is to bring together every tongue, tribe, and nation to be blessed in and through God and his people, right? That's, that's the missio day. That's the mission of God. And any other mission that we try to be on is not of God. And so he's pointing out to them that God was faithful in continuing his mission and you have no right to be angry, but you are. Now, if you would turn to Deuteronomy 32 and we'll read a couple of different portions of this so that we get the sense of what is it that Paul is invoking here in full. And we'll start in verse 19 through 22, which is the, kind of the portion that he is, he is uh, pulling this from. Listen to God's word. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness, they have made me jealous with what is no God. You hear that? So what was, what was the Israelite people doing? They were worshiping idols. They were doing the thing that they thought made the Gentiles the most unclean and unworthy. And in return, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation, for a fire is kindled in my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth and its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And then let's skip down to verse 34 through 43. Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine. 
and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Listen. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Based on what? Based on what? Got to be one Christian in this room, just law of averages at church. Can't be the first lady. I'm going to not take it from her. What is this based on? What is this sermon about? Well, somebody. Adam, you got to know this. Why does he vindicate him? Based on what? His mercy. Thank you, Bob. I think that was Bob. I'll take that from you. You get credit. His mercy. More importantly, his love, which mercy and grace are uh, derivative of or expressive of. How did y'all not know that? Think about it. Now, this is a teachable moment. Don't get, don't get wound up in it. How did you not know that? If you can't figure that out, then I'm afraid you're not benefiting from the fullness of God's love for you. That if you, when you hear the words vindication, redemption, restoration, forgiveness, if you don't immediately think God's love in Christ alone, in God's grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, that is a signal to you that you have some other operating systems at work, right? And that is good that that is exposed in us. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, but Cameron, you're tricky. Like you ask these questions and sometimes you just say weird things. I don't know. I'm scared of being wrong. Okay. I'm glad you said that. If you can't be wrong here where God has vindicated you based on his love alone, where else can you be wrong? Where else do you have the liberty to get it right? Right? And yet fear keeps us. If, 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 what if I was an unbeliever and I, like the Ethiopian eunuch, happened to be in Decatur? Based on what? What would you say? Uh, let me, um, ah, God's love. And that same love for you who is reading that text is operative now. And I call you to receive the same love. That's evangelism. So let me read on. When he sees that their, listen, you should have just kept reading. When he sees that their power is gone. So what can the vindication not be according to? Them. Anything they do. Their power is gone. He has brought them to the end of themselves. Remember, judgment always serves redemption. And if you ever are uttering judgment towards someone else for which redemption is not in mind, you are ungodly. And it goes on. When, when they say, uh, I'm sorry, the Lord vindicated his people, there, there's none remaining bond or free, and there's none remaining bond or free, then he will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering, let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. 
See, now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me, I kill and make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold of judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Now, much of that you may find disturbing. But what he's pointing out to you is, listen, either... You will, you will come to me as father or I will deal with you as judge. There is no other way. And I will also deal with those who have led you astray and those who have sought to take you from me. There is not a parent in this room that that would turn into a green beret if somebody tried to take their child. I have no doubt of that. You would fight tooth and nail to protect and keep your child if there was an imminent physical threat, right? But God goes further. It's not just the imminent physical threat, it's the internal. The sin which so easily entangles us, the darkness that dwells within us, the pride that rises up to want to declare that we are saved by our own works. He longs for that to be put to death as well, which he does in Christ alone. So what we have here is him making it very clear. He wounds and he heals. And you may say, well, that's kind of difficult. I don't know if I like that. Well, if it was like Star Wars, where there were two equal powers, what could you hope in? If there was one who wounds and one who heals in equal power, whom do you trust? See, what we would do is try to assuage the one who wounds, Darth Vader and the Empire, which I think is a very interesting metaphor for us as Americans. Instead of submitting to the one who heals, but better, we have one that does both. And if he's the one who's doing the delivering, it means he will wound in order to heal, not wound in order to kill. He will heal in order to deliver not heal in order to uh, just gain more followers in the worst sense of that word. He's not an influencer after all. And so what we have is Paul declaring to the Israelites the glory of the Lord their God and to us as well. And notice, even after he says all this stuff about making them jealous and it doesn't make sense that they're mad, notice what he says next. But of Israel, he says, All day long, I have held out my hands for a disobedient and a contrary people. Students, if you often wonder, why do my parents drag me to this place, don't even have no air condition, and this guy just stands up there and kind of yells at us for a little while, and mercifully it'll be over, and we can get out in the lobby where there's air, and maybe to lunch. Well... What would you want your parents to do if they thought that this was eternal life and death? 
Where would you want your parents to take you? Leave it up to you? It was interesting. One time, one of my children, I won't name which one, but you could probably guess, was 12 and informed us. Uh, I, I, I'll give it away. I, I can't do the without the pronouns. So here, uh, informed us that she did not need us anymore. That she very well could live perfectly fine on her own. Thank you very much. Which I came home and one of the few times I saw Susan just madder than a wet hen. Now, if you ever seen a wet hen, they're pretty mad. She was mad and she was like, "You got to deal with this." So I was like, "Okay." What'd she do? And she told me, I cracked up and I walked in there. I said, all right, Kimberly, because I'm a loving and benevolent father, uh, we, hey, we're running water and lights, which I think is quite gracious, if I do say so myself. And I said, listen, I'm gonna let you live there the first three months rent-free just so you can figure out what you need to do, get your head together and figure out what comes next. But come that fourth month, rent is due. And rent is, I wanna be gracious here, $250, okay? And if you don't pay me, I'm gonna kick you out. Because that's freedom. That's how freedom works. If you can't meet your obligations, then you pay consequence. That's freedom, right? You have the freedom to do or not, right? And so she's kind of looking at me, and I'm like, hey, and you're free to not use my telephone anymore. Unless you want to pay a portion of it, because that's freedom. That's how freedom works, is you get to pay for things. And if you don't like my phone service, you can get your own. You don't have to use my internet either because I think you think it's slow and we cut it off at 10 o'clock. Listen to how good this is going to be down in that little room. We'll even spray for all the bugs that live down there. Make it nice for you. And you're free not to have to golly, eat the food we serve. How many times have I heard you go to the pantry and the eight boxes of cereal were insufficient for your appetite? You don't have to, you don't have to suffer anymore, sweetheart. You guys are thinking, you're a horrible, wicked, manipulative. She's going to be in therapy. Yeah. But not just for that. And she's crying by this point because she suddenly don't want that kind of freedom. Right? See, I want to say to our students, like, your parents bring you here not, not because they don't love you, but because they do believe that there is something powerful that happens when God's people gather together to worship. And it's important that you re remember, even what we're hearing here, it's not based on your reaction, response, or perception. Amen. If it's based on your perception, that means you could have stayed up way too late last night, ate some Chinese food at about two in the morning, or feeling miserable, and you're sitting here thinking, there ain't no way God is in this place. I feel like trash. No, he is, because he promised he would be, that when his people gather together, he is there and at work. And then through the Spirit, Christ is interceding for us. The Spirit is praying to make up for the, the, the pitifulness of our prayers. Amen? So your parents bring you to this place so that in hopes that you will, Joel 2.32, believe what you have heard someday. And their longing for you is not that they would just have to only suffer you in this life. Like, think about this. If, if they didn't want you to hear it and they didn't want to have to deal with you in eternity, they may say, God, one lifetime was enough. Thank you very much. They could perfectly leave you at home. Instead of dragging you to this tomfoolery, as many would say, they believe that the word doesn't return void. And their longing is to be with you for eternity, I would hope. There sometimes comes a time when our kids get old enough they don't want to come anymore. We went through this. We go through this. 
But what, we, but what we have done is at least both of my kids can articulate very clearly the gospel. That was our responsibility. I can't make them believe because if I could, then who is the mover? I am. And so to our students, at least, even if you find all of this silly to you or boring to you or whatever it may be, at least recognize it is an act of love, not terrorism on your parents' part. Whether you agree with what, any of what I have said, this is what they believe. And this is their hope for you. And this is God's hope for us, his people. I've used this quote before, so I don't want you thinking I've gotten lazy. And I just, I just have, have dipped into the bag of quotes. This quote is just one that I can't escape. I read it years ago, uh, and it just has haunted me in the best way. And it just seems perfect for this. If you would hear the words of Cornelius Plantinga from a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a Breviary of Sin. Human sin is stubborn. Is that true? Is your sin stubborn? Man, mine is. And the better way to say it is, I am. Not my sin. It's not external to me. It is me. Human sin is stubborn, but not so stubborn as the grace of God. And not half so persistent, not half so ready to suffer to win its way. How many of you, your sin has suffered to win you? If it were something external, it is a terrible God. Because it places the entirety of the burden, the consequence, and the cost on you. God very differently. He takes on the fullness of the burden, the cost, and the suffering so that we would be free to be in union with Christ. So that we who have heard can help others to hear. So who did the Lord use to share the gospel with you to draw you to himself by his grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? Not just the first person who shared with you, but in the ongoing way in which the Lord has provided Early in our marriage, I was a new Christian. The church we were going to, I won't name. I heard some horrific sermons even by my lights. However, and the Lord spoke through, I would argue, every single one of them. They, were, they used to do Wednesday nights. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday morning twice, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. No, it wasn't a cult. They were just Baptists. And so on Wednesday nights, oftentimes, I would dread going. So I was like, I don't want to do this. But it was interesting what the Lord did is he, he kind of pushed me to, to, to early on. It was, the, it was the early stages of the Reformation in Cameron Barnes' life, uh, unbeknownst to me. Was the Lord basically said to me, do you trust me? Because if, if, if it is incumbent upon the speaker to entertain you and keep your attention, you are going to be manipulated and hurt. But better can you hear my voice, my faithfulness, even in the pitiful efforts of man, which, by the way, even the best preacher is pitiful compared to the word of God that speaks creation into being. You understand that? The best sermon you've ever heard is absolute drivel, baby talk, babble, compared to what the Lord has to say to you in and through the Spirit. And so what I started doing is going and looking for, all right, Lord, where are you speaking? What do you have to say to me? And I grew like a dadgum weed, didn't I? 
much to my chagrin, and I quit talking about how bad the sermons were and started thinking more about how good God is. Now, this isn't a bait and switch for you guys to stop criticizing me or Robbie or Matt. That's your own conscience. But the, but the point is, I'll, on the other side, don't talk about how good we are. That's meaningless. And if you were to say to me, hey, that was a good sermon, you often get the, which is why you all stop saying this, I think to some extent, is I'm going to say back to you, we don't know yet. Have you lived it? Has it done something to you? I'm glad it was either comforting or edifying or made you think about some things, but we don't know if this was a good sermon or not. We need to see the fruit as it unfolds over the days ahead. How is God using you to do the same for others in your spheres of influence? How is God using your love for him and love for your neighbors to help display in word and deed the beauty of the gospel? Because how will they hear if no one shares it with them? So this is important that we recognize we've been invited into the story. We don't have control of the story, but the Lord wants to use us. What a joy it is to be able to be part of seeing things transformed and changed. It's one of my great joys in being at the rescue mission and, and, and hearing from so many of them how it actually meant over the 10 years I was there. Many of them did multiple tours of duty at the rescue mission. And to, to hear from them how, how much the word of God meant to them, being faithful to go, because several times I didn't want to go there either. And so what we learn from Romans 10, 14 through 21, is that God teaches us that he persists in calling us to him through his preached word, even when you are deaf and hard of heart. That he will continue to put it out before you for you to hear in some way, shape, or form, most, most uh, pertinently in and through worship. So are we leaning in to hear? That's one of the great pictures uh, that we see in Luke chapter 14 at the end, right before we get the parable in three or four parts, depending how, how you count it, uh, where it says that Jesus dined with sinners and they were listening intently. The Pharisees were on the outside. The Pharisees who knew Isaiah 52, Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 65 that promised that the Lord would draw the Gentiles into himself. They stood there watching it happen and they were angry, you remember, with Jesus. And remember how Jesus dealt with them. He told the grand parable and it gets all the way to the end. It talks about the, the retrieving of the lamb and the retrieving of the coin. And we've talked about this before. They throw parties that are worth more than the lamb and more than the coin. And then, he, and then he begs the question, is the party that is thrown for the son who returns the younger brother, by the way, which is interesting, that's the Gentiles, right, or the younger brother. He throws a party that you now have to decide, is that party worth more than that son who has returned? The older brother who stands outside answers, yes, he ain't worth it. But God throws the party anyway and invites the older brother in. Why would you not want, when God's promises are being fulfilled, that you know, why would you not want to come in and celebrate? We should be the same way. We should pray that the Lord would cultivate that in us. Let's pray. Father, help us have ears to hear and eyes to see where you were at work, and even more importantly, where you were inviting us into that work. God, would you help us 
first know that we are loved so that we can then love. God, would you, would you show us how you are persistent? Your grace is persistent to us. You hold your hands out to us even when we are unfaithful and unfeeling and we just aren't into it. God, we, 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 just, we just thank you for your not growing weary and doing this eternal good on our behalf. Would that we would be a people who cry out to others, come ye sinners. And if you are going to tarry until you're able, you're never going to come at all. And may we keep coming, Lord, because you have invited us to come so boldly, to come because we stand at peace in your grace because of what Christ has done for us. May we live in and through the finished work of Christ. May we recognize that you have been at work in our midst this morning. You are faithful and you are good. May we act on what we have heard, what we have seen, what we've experienced. In Christ's name, amen.